long, right? There was supposed to be a little short video there, but I uh, guess we're having some tef- technical difficulties. That's okay. Isn't spring great? I mean, um, don't get me wrong. I like snow, and I like spring snow showers, um, but you can feel it when you get up in the morning. You can smell it. Uh, the promise of new life, new baby animals, little black calves out there sunning in the sunshine, enjoying life, the new life that they have, new flowers, uh, trees will start to show green soon, uh, lawns, anybody mow their lawn last week? I did. Um, I just couldn't resist it. The problem was I changed oil in the lawnmower, and I'm like, it's a beautiful day, I just got to do it. So I did it. Um, New life, and that is what we receive through Jesus Christ, as, as Bob said in, uh, in his uh, talking during that song. New, new life. Over the next three Sundays and on Thursday night, uh, the Thursday night before Easter, Maundy Thursday, the 14th, we're going to be looking at the final week of Jesus' life, the final seven days of, of his life here on earth. Now, I recognize that he was here a little bit longer than that, but the seven days leading up to the resurrection on Easter Sunday, and I hope you'll be able to join us for, for each of those days, his final days on earth. And they were so confusing to the people that were around Jesus, that spent time with Jesus. They, they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. There was a lot that they didn't understand, a lot that made their situation seem absolutely hopeless, in fact, uh, from, from Friday to, to Sunday morning. Uh, they just didn't know what to do. But in the end, oh, in the end, seven calendar days from when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, we'll talk about that next week, week, it would all begin to make sense. Um, Today, we're actually going to to look at day number two, uh, which would be the Monday of the last seven days of Jesus' life on the earth, Uh, and then next week, we'll look at Palm Sunday. Does the name Kevin Baugh ring a bell? It probably doesn't, and I, I actually hope it doesn't, because Kevin Baugh has his own country. It is, it is called the Republic of Molossia, M-O-L-O-S-S-I-A. And if you don't mind, he would prefer that you call him His Excellency Kevin Baugh. After all, uh, he has an impressive khaki uniform with six big medals, a gold braid, epaulets at the shoulders, and a blue, white, and green sash. I don't know if this picture that I have this morning is the one uh, that, uh, yeah, yep, right there. That, that is, that's Kevin. Um, and a general's cap with a gold starburst over the bill. Now, have you never heard of the Republic of Melosia? Well, that's understandable because it consists of Ba's three-bedroom house, and 1.3 acres outside of Dayton, Nevada. Okay, according to an article in the Chicago Tribune, he has a space program, a model rocket, uh, a currency uh, pegged to the value of chocolate chip cookie dough, a railroad, of course, model size, uh, a national sport, they love to play broom ball there, and in his landlocked desert region, a navy, which consists of an inflatable boat. Now. The newspaper article goes on to say that Ba, a 45-year-old father of two, is a micro-nationalist, one of a wacky band of do-it-yourself nation builders who raise flags over their front yards and declare their property to be, as Ba puts it, the kingdom of me. All right? Now, for Ba, it's, it's a fun joke. 
And I used this illustration quite a few years ago, so I thought maybe I should double check and make sure it's, he's still a country. You know, maybe some other country overtook him or something, or, <laughs> or he sold it. So I, I Googled the, the Republic of Melosia, and boom, there it was. Recent pictures, all the history, pictures of him with his, um, you know, his citizens, his family. Um, you know, they're, they're growing up. They've grown up a lot in the last 11 years, actually. Um, and for him, it's... It's kind of a fun joke, I think, but, but it makes the point that I want to make this morning, and that is he's building a kingdom of me. And don't we often do that ourselves? We are building a kingdom of me. Many, many years ago, we did a series called Making Room for Life. Uh, it was a series that challenged us to create some margins in our life because we don't really have that much margin in our life. We schedule ourselves from the moment we get up in the morning to the moment we sit in our chair and fall asleep or, or that, that we go to bed every day. If, if you have a young family and you have an elementary student and a middle school student and a high school student and they're all in sports of one kind or another, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You, you, we think to ourselves, I have to live this way. Unfortunately, that we're, we're listening to a lie there. We can build room into our schedules and we need to be challenged like that. In fact, the first message of that series was titled, Squeezing the Living Out of Life. And don't we, don't we do that? We think that we're living, but really what we're doing is we're squeezing the living out of life. Of living, And I want you to think this morning, how, how do you feel? How do you feel today? Yes, we're looking forward to spring. But, but how, do you, how is your energy level? Um, are, you, are you tired? Are you, are you worn out from running from one thing to the next? Pressures at work, pressures at school, pressures in your family, the stress of producing, the stress of being successful, the stress of pleasing people, the stress of being great the stress of trying to build a kingdom of me. Now, if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, and we're going to be reading, I'm going to read verses 11 through 19 as we start this morning. Mark chapter 11, 11 through 19. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, now that, that, that's Palm Sunday. That was Sunday. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from uh, eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out 
of the city. Now, I'm not sure the reason. Uh, maybe it was self-preservation. Maybe it was because the city was full of people and there just wasn't room for them to stay in Jerusalem. Um, but those first few days after Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they retreated to Bethany every night. So, so they actually stayed in Bethany. But before they left town Sunday night, Mark records that they went to the temple. But since it was already late, they didn't stay. They, they like peeked their heads in and then they went back to Bethany. And, and they came into town on Monday and they went straight to the temple because Jesus didn't like what he saw. And it wasn't a very pretty sight. Jesus wasn't happy. And after Jesus left the temple, no one was happy. Right? Because Jesus really messed things up. He really messed things up. Um, that's point number one in your notes this morning. Jesus disrupts the temple. And isn't it just like Jesus to really mess things up in our lives? Honestly, think about that. Think about how you think of Jesus because it's like, ah, you know, he wants me to go to church on Sundays and he wants me to, to love my neighbors and, and I had this really good thing going, but Jesus says, you know, I should do this or I should do that. And, and we just sort of go, man, he's just really messing this up. But really, if we're honest, who is it that messes things up? It's me. Yeah, it's us. Um, Jesus was not happy. He turned over tables. He scattered their money. He chased out the people that were buying and selling. And he stopped others from carrying merchandise through the temple courts. Why? Why this righteous anger? Well, first of all, because it was being misused. His temple was being misused. It had a purpose. It was to be used for a certain thing. And, and it was being misused. And this, as far as I can tell, is the second time that Jesus cleared the temple. If we go to, to John chapter 2, it'll be up here on the screen. Um, verses 13 and through 17. And, and unless John tells the narrative and he picked that out of the end of Jesus' life and stuck it at the beginning, this happened twice. Verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. It seems to be something that was misused a lot. People leveraged the temple for their own needs and wants and greed when they could. So I, it's happened before. Um, now, we, we must acknowledge that, that there were things that were necessary for their temple worship that they needed access to. You know, they had foreigners coming in and, and they had foreign money and they needed to exchange their money. But the only money that was accepted at the temple was uh, the temple coins. So there, there needed to be money changers. It was also impossible for everyone to travel great distances and bring animals with them to sacrifice. So there needed to be a place for them to be able to purchase purchase those animals so that they could sacrifice. And we're going to see next week that the Sadducees had something going in, in that aspect uh, with sheep. But they needed to come and, and, in order, and they needed to have the right things. 
But it had become such a racket. It, it would have been like us trying to hold a worship gathering at an auction next to the auctioneer. There was so much noise and so much distraction that I'm sure they weren't able to worship as God's house was supposed to provide for them. And this, of course, frustrated Jesus when they were taking advantage of the people who were coming to worship. You know, how many times have you gone to an airport and you want to buy a cup of coffee because you got a couple of hours to kill? And you look, at the, you look at the board and it's like eight bucks for a cup of coffee, you know, that you could get at a Starbucks in Cheyenne for four and a half. Are you kidding me? But, but, but what is, well, I know what our response is. I'm having a cup of coffee. I don't care what it costs. But they kind of got you, don't they? You can't bring it in. Or you go to an event, a Broncos game. Do people still go to those? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe this year. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, who knows what in the world is going to happen there. But um, I do know that Seattle is kind of stuck. Oh, shh. Don't say anything about that. Uh, Russell Wilson is a top-notch guy. He is a good guy. Um, if nothing else, we got a really upstanding guy as a part of the team. Anyway, um, wow, Sorry. It was being misused. It, it had become a kingdom of them, right? Um, I think Jesus' disruption in the temple was also very symbolic. It, it was very symbolic. When God established the temple, it wasn't established to be a forever thing. This was supposed to be a temporary thing. This was to span the time uh, between the fall and when Jesus came. And, and Jesus was there. Uh, Jesus constantly had confrontations with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who seemed bent on keeping their religious right underpinnings and, and firmly, no matter what Jesus had to say, no matter, no matter what proof Jesus offered them for his divinity, they were going to stick with their religion. Verse 16 says that he wouldn't allow anyone to carry any merchandise through the temple. So if only for a moment he had managed to bring the whole entire temple activity to a standstill. Which is where it needed to be. Following his death and resurrection, that whole system was to be history. And, and Jesus explains that very well. Um, when Jesus gave up his, his spirit on the cross and the curtain of the Holy of Holies was split into two and fell to the floor, that was symbolic of what? That God is now available to anyone, anywhere. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to be a part of a certain church. He is accessible to us. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 describes it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. It was being misused. It was being, it was symbolic. And then uh, he was calling out their religiosity. Uh, Jesus often referred to the Pharisees as whitewashing the outside. The outside looks all good and spiritual, but on the inside, they were truly corrupt. Uh, It's a good thing when Jesus disrupts our religiosity. We need him to overturn those tables of religiosity in our life. We all have religious tendencies that we must surrender. We grab on to things that we feel comfortable with, that we like, that we were raised with. Whether right or wrong. Have you, ever, have you ever just sort of had one of those aha moments where something that you had been doing, that you had been practicing for your whole life, God says, hey, what does my word say? What, what have I said about this? And, and you, have a, you have a decision to make. Am I going to, and, and the, the enemy would like us to say that this is forsaking, am I going to forsake my family history to believe this thing over here? No, it's am I willing to learn something new that God is teaching me no matter what age I am as it relates to his relationship with me? I mean, that, honestly, we should invite Jesus into our life to overturn the tables. That, that, is, how, that is how we grow. Uh, you know, I, sometimes somebody will ask me, well, are you religious? And I'll say yes, about brushing my teeth, you know, sometimes about showering. Um, <laughs> see, Religion is one of those things that you just do over and over and over again and you never ever question again why it is that you do that thing. Um, and it can be all for show. I mean, we all, not that, we, not that I want you to point fingers at other people, but we all know people who are religious about things. But if you look at their everyday life, and we've been challenged the last two or three or five, six weeks to, to investigate our own lives so that, that our feet, so that our behavior matches what we say we believe. But you're just like, you know, it's just sort of religious to them. They just do it because they've always done it. And, and I really have to guard against that because I, beca- I can become so focused on myself that, that it then becomes about me. I think maybe that's the point that Jesus was trying to make with this fig tree. You know, it looked good. It looked like it should have fruit on it. And when he went up to it, it was bare. Uh, there was nothing that it could offer him. It was fruitless. And we need to inspect ourselves. We need to ask God to search our hearts. Is there some emptiness, some fruitless part of my life, that some table that is just changing money that you want to that you want to disrupt, that you want to, that you want to flip over. I mean, do you ever feel like everything in your life is all up to you? It's all up to you. It's up to you to fix it. It's up to you to say the right thing. It's up to you to do the right thing. It's up to you to succeed whatever definition it is that you're following for that success. And sometimes that's dictated to us by where we work. 
And, and there, is, there is a certain amount of that responsibility in, in the secular world, in our secular society, our schools. Look, you don't, you don't study, you don't do the work, you don't pass the test, you don't get the grade. I mean, that, that, is, that is something that we're responsible for. It, and it is performance-based, but we must not carry that performance basis into our spiritual life. I mean, I, there is so much greater power available to us than ourselves. Now, you may think you're all that. I mean, there's times when I really do think I'm all that, not you, where I think I'm all that. And that doesn't come across to people very well. The first time I met my wife, she thought I thought I was all that. Praise Jesus that there was more to me than that, <laughs> right? I guess I got a second, second attempt to give a first impression. But even in the midst of the pressures that you're experiencing, that you have on your own life, there is a place that you can go for strength, for real strength, for real power. You see, Jesus interrupts the temple because it isn't as it should be. And when Jesus interrupts your life and mine, it's because it isn't as it should be. So, what should our lives be? Look at verse 17. Jesus teaches what our lives should be. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You see, God's house is a house of prayer. When I was growing up, I used to think a church building was the house of worship. Well, that, that's just pharisaical, right? I mean, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus was trying to overturn the tables of? I get that this can be a place of respect and a place where we can focus and where we, we, we come together with one heart and one mind. But there isn't anything mystical or supernatural about this building. It is just that. My house, Jesus says, it's my house. Three things I want us to notice about this prayer in this passage. First of all, Jesus says, it's my house. It's my deal. Oh, we want to grab it from him and make it our own. We want to do all the work. We want to fix whatever problem it is we have. We want to take care of it ourselves and then claim credit. Or, or, or maybe, maybe we want, to want somebody else to do that for us. Maybe our neighbor or the government or some other entity. We're, we're like, well, you need to fix this for me. You need to, you need to help me fix my kingdom. Because I want my kingdom to be, I'm, I'm his majesty eminence of my kingdom. I'm, I'm in control of my kingdom. Now, I can't speak for everyone here, but I am for sure speaking for myself. I get super hyper-focused on my kingdom, and I need an over, a, a table overturned. And I just wonder, am I alone in this? <laughs> Making life just about me is a futile place to be. Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, remember, he's not talking about 
a building. It's builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. How involved has Jesus been in building your house in the last week, in the last month, in the last year? Has, have, have you surrendered your city that he might watch over it? Or have you been grasping onto it with tight fists and white knuckles? Whether you've been a Christ follower for a long time or just a few days, or maybe you aren't yet and you're just checking this out. Our first step away from the den of robbers, from, from misusing our relationship with Jesus, is to let go of control. It's to let go of control. Unless the Lord builds the house, its labors labor in vain. And in the building of our kingdom, the labor is us. And unless he's the one that's building your life and mine, we are laboring in vain. Whether it's the church, the family of God, or our individual lives, it's his house. And because it is, then we must look to him first. He must, be, he must be sitting in the throne of our kingdom, not me. Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What does that look like in your life and mine? Well, first of all, we trust him for our salvation. We, we can't earn it. We can't justify ourselves. We must believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the son of God. And we place our full trust in him as, our, as the Lord of our life. We repent of our inability to save ourselves because of our sin. And he who is faithful and just forgives us of our sin and purifies us from all unrighteousness. And then that works its way into our life on a daily basis. On a daily basis. We trust in him to provide for us. We trust in him to protect us. We trust in him to watch over our children. Our humanness wants to grab all those things away from God. Look, I've, I've been as guilty as anyone when my kids are traveling from one place to another, checking their location and making sure it's still moving. And believe me, it doesn't get any better when they graduate and they're on their own. Because when they're in your house, you still feel like you have some sort of control, which we oftentimes do not, right? Uh, but, but we do. When they're out of the house and gone and somewhere else, I mean, that's where, that's where our faith, that's where my faith really began to grow. God, I just got to trust you with them. I don't know what you're going to do with them. I know what I want you to do with them. I know what I want to happen for them. And honestly, none of that's happened. So, so, what, then, so what then do I do? Where, where, where then do I go when I feel lost and confused and, and powerless? Well, I need to remind myself, and this has to happen on a daily basis, what uh, James says in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, and he will lead us in the way of everlasting. 
I need to follow his lead. I need to surrender that stuff to him. When I get up in the morning, I need to say, Lord, everything that's going to happen to me, everything that's good, it's going to come from you. It's not because I'm a hard worker. It's, um, it, God, you gave me that job. You gave me the energy to accomplish that job. You gave me what I need to put food on the table. So that food really comes from him, not from me. But we don't, we don't think that way. We don't really live our lives that way. It's like, hey, I worked this many hours and I'm going to get paid this many dollars for this many hours and it's coming and, and I'm going to spend it this way. Oh, Father, help us to trust you every day for all the things that we have. We also have to remember that, that prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. You know, later in the chapter, beginning with verse 23, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Wow. Boy, if that doesn't give some energy to health, wealth, and happiness, I don't know what does. Right? Now, look, I don't think Jesus was into landscaping. I don't think Jesus was talking about moving a mountain at all. Anybody growing up ever try that? No, seriously, be honest. I'm the only one. I got one hand in the balcony. Seriously, when I was like, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, I read that verse. I went outside and like, I'm going to muster enough faith to get that, that hill to move over there. <laughs> didn't work. It didn't happen. So is that verse not true? Does that need to be struck from the Bible because it didn't happen? Or, or do we then deduce that, well, I just must not have enough faith. That's what it is. So let's just feel guilty for that. That's from the enemy, right? No, you see... Jesus was making a point with the mountain, and that's that prayer is a powerful thing, that God can do the impossible. We just need to rely completely on him for the answers that are best. So when we pray, let's not focus on our list of wants, but allow time to listen to him and, and what he wants to say to us. Allow Jesus to form our thoughts. Allow the Holy Spirit to impact the things that we live for and, and the things that we do, the way that we spend our time and our money. And, and as our spirits begin to align with God and what he wants, and we begin to, our hearts begin to beat for the things of God and we begin to, begin to pray for those things and he begins to move and make those things happen. And we're also reminded in verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, just if you care to pray over that this week, it, I'm, I'm guessing there are many tables out there in our kingdoms that are that unforgiveness. And, and maybe you have tried and you have tried and you have tried to muster enough personal desire to forgive someone, but it isn't going to come, it isn't going to happen that way. That ability to forgive comes from the Holy Spirit. 
Unforgiveness and holding grudges affects the effectiveness of our prayers. To pray effectively, we need faith in God, not faith in the object of our request. And if we focus on our request and that request isn't granted, we're left empty. So what if instead we focus on God? We worship Jesus. We focus on the Holy Spirit, who he is and who he wants us to be. And then when those things that we're praying for aren't answered, then the answer is no, that's not what God wants for me. Because I'm focusing on him, not this thing that I want. Because if you want something bad enough and you surrender to that want, you're going to get it. If you want that boat bad enough, that new boat that you know you probably can't afford, you and, and you're convinced that that's going to give you lots of joy and happiness this summer, and you don't talk to anybody else, and you don't pray about it, you're going to end up with a $400 a month payment. Because you will convince yourself that that's what you should have. You don't want to ask God, because you have this slight sense that maybe he's going to say no, which would be better, but that's not what you want. Oh, it's a hard place to be, and I've been there plenty. I have been there plenty. Jesus, our example, prayed this in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Everything is possible for you, yet not what I will, but what you will. God, I know you can do this. And, and, and if this is supposed to be, Help me to trust you enough that when that answer comes, yes or no, I'm okay with it. Right? Some people think that's a cop-out. Oh, that that, 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 that that lacks faith. We sort of tag that on at the end. But your will, not mine. But really, isn't that the attitude we should have? If, if, if we're surrendering our kingdom to him, that, that, that I, want my, I want you to be in charge of my kingdom. So help me to see if this is your will or not. It might be God's will that you have a boat. He may want to leverage that in the lives of lots of people. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of thinking probably not, but I mean, like I said, I could be wrong. And, And this is such a great reminder for me. Prayer is so powerful. We see it literally in our lives before, before God. If we would just pay attention. Some of you are wondering what in the world you are doing here. And I don't mean in church necessarily, although you may be asking that too, but in Wyoming, Southeast Wyoming. Maybe you have no family here. Maybe you, who knows why you ended up here? I know families who, who, who were driving around the country and they walked out in front of their car at a filling station and there were two rainbows and they said, this is the place. I'm not kidding you. That can happen. And then after a couple years of living 35 miles from civilization, they went back to Tennessee. <laughs> but wait, there's more to the story. Why will they, why, while they were here, God reconnected with them. And, and he used that moment in their life for a purpose. 
So I don't care what broken relationship you have or you're struggling with, or I, I don't care where you are, you can trust that God will use that in your life to teach you something that will last into eternity. But we got to be willing to expose our tables for him to kick over. Philip Yancey said this, if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way I want God to and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those two themes converge. God, help me. And, 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 and that can only happen when we spend time with him. It won't happen while you're watching TV. It, it can happen while you're fishing, I think. <laughs> Though most men get fixated on the hunt and the object and they forget thinking about other things. Uh, Whatever it is, wherever it is that you can carve, make. you got to make it. Make some time. Jesus disrupts the temple. God's house is a house of prayer. And finally, number three, we will kill Jesus if we're not careful. In Luke 19, verse 47, Luke says, Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. The religious leaders of the day are trying to kill someone. Why? Because he didn't fit in their mold, because they didn't believe him when he said who he said he was. We got to lay our lives open to God every day and guard against selfish living, to guard against the pressures of success and production. Daily recognizing that our lives must be completely about him and his kingdom. So what does it take to be a successful pastor? What does it take to be a successful teacher or a successful doctor or a successful mechanic or a successful mom and dad? Or insert your occupation, whatever it is. What does it take? I, th I think there's three things that are really important. The first one is that we live our lives honestly. Honestly. The decisions that we make on a daily basis must be in line with God's call on our lives. Decisions of integrity, no matter what we think the outcome might be. And as we pray, we must be honest with ourselves and listen to the answers that we hear, no matter what the consequences might be. We already talked about the boat. That's kind of the same thing. But maybe you're struggling in a relationship that you've been praying about. And what, what has the answer been? No matter how hard you pray that it's something else, maybe it's been the same thing. And maybe it's time that you listen to God speaking into your ear about that relationship. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and, and God has been saying to you, you need to reconcile. You need to do the work. You need to surrender. You, you, whatever it is, an attitude or, or a, an opinion or... And it's not the other person that's been saying this to you. You've been hearing it other places. God is speaking to you. 
We need to engage in conversation and counseling with our creator. When we need to listen. I mean, God, God has shown me faults my whole life. I wish the list was shorter, but I know I'm still working down the list. And, and even sometimes the ones that you cross off, you're like, somehow it jumps back down there in the bottom and we have to resurrender it again. I, I need to listen and obey. We all need to be honest no matter what. Honest with ourselves, honest with others, live our lives honestly. We also have to live our lives transparently. Now, this, this actually may be one of my strengths, being, to will, being willing to tell other people what I'm struggling with, being willing to, to share with other people things, stupid things that I say and dumb things that I do. Um, I try to limit that to myself, but sometimes, well, many times my family gets drawn into it as well. Um, but, but I want to remind all of us here this morning that, that look, I'm just, I'm just a human being trying to be faithful to God in doing what he, what, what he has called me to do and be, and that's a pastor. And, and, and there are those times when, when you think um, that, I don't know, I should have done something that I didn't or I did something that I shouldn't have or whatever. And, 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 and you're like, he's terrible at what he does. So here's the thing about that. I agree. Yes. See, how I have learned to see myself is not, uh, you know, having the biggest church, having the most people, having the best whatever, um, because that can happen. And that did happen in a period, in a period of time in my life. And, and then when it wasn't, it's like, well, I'm, I just, I'm terrible. But what, but, but what God was really doing was saying, no, you see, here's the problem. You were growing the kingdom of you. That's not what I'm about, what God's about. It's building his kingdom. And, and so then that falls on to me then to be honest, to be transparent, to be faithful to him, to confess when I mess up. Um, and, and some of those times, it's not, it's not working harder. It's surrendering more. I mean, we need to be transparent with one another. We need to confess our sins to one another. We, look, we're all broken. Every one of us. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't help another broken pot get fixed. But we for sure need to listen to what Jesus says and get that bored out of our own eye before we try to point out a splinter to somebody else. We, look, we just need to surrender our tables for the overturning. I am imploring you this morning to, to ask God to search your heart and show me those tables, those money-changing tables. Show me those places in my life where I am being greedy about controlling it myself, about doing my own thing, about going my own way. And I give you permission. Make a whip of cords if you have to, Jesus. Help me to see that I haven't been about you, but I've been about me.
and then surrender to the answer. Look, we're, we're all a family. As a, a church. See, that's what the church is. It's a group of people. It's not a building. It's a group of people, and trust me, we're all, we all have warts. And if we're honest and we're transparent and we live faithfully to God, I truly believe that whatever that looks like is success. I mean, I love walking the road of life together with people. Sometimes it's hard. And honestly, sometimes there are those times when I just want to shut myself up in the basement, turn the pellet stove on and, I don't know, play the farming simulator for hours on end. It's been eight days since I've played that, by the way. Just, just want to throw that out there. You see, Jesus turning over the tables in the temple was disruptive to their lives, and it's disruptive in our lives, but it's a needed disruption. When he flips over tables in our lives, let's make a commitment to continue to listen. And, and may we keep our lives clear of tables and money changers. Pull out that connect card if you would this morning. We haven't done this in a long time, but I want you to look at that connect card and on that one side where it says my next steps, there's one that says I've been trying to live on my own power. I want to submit my table for turning. If you have a table that the Holy Spirit has pointed to you this morning and said this is it, I need to turn over this table, but you're still, you're still holding the legs, you still want it, and you would commit to praying about the overturning of that table, mark that, and I want you to write your name on that connect card. And then I want you to do one of two, one of two things. Put it in the offering plate when you leave and trust that myself and our staff will pray for you, that God would, that you would be willing to have that table overturned. You don't have to say what kind of table it is, unless you want us to pray specifically. Or I want you to fill that out, mark it, and stick it in your Bible. Put it someplace where you will look at it again this week as a reminder of a commitment that you made this morning to surrender a table for Jesus Christ to overturn. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what is great news, that, that you love us enough to, to surrender yourself to death on a cross. That prayer, Jesus, where you said, not my will, but your will, was when you were struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane with the pain and the pressure of what was going to happen when you took on the sin of the world. My sin was a part of that weight. Thank you, Jesus, that you surrendered to the will of the Father. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help each one of us to grow from what you've spoken to us this morning. Maybe this morning it was just a reminder of how much you love us and that you're willing to 
Help us to make difficult decisions. Maybe we have a table that needs overturned. Maybe someone watching or sitting here this morning heard something that helped them to understand who you are. That you are God. That you paid for the debt that we owe in our sin. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as we uh, continue to embark on this last seven days journey, that that you would teach us along the way. And and I pray that you would help us also to to live as lights to our neighbors and our coworkers. And that, that there would be many people this year, this year, 2022, that would hear the truth about who you are and what you did. And they too would believe and experience the joy and the peace that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Help us to be available and willing for that. Lord, help us to look at our schedules and to carve out some time to listen to you. And Father, I know even for me personally, it it takes time for me to sort of get rid of those distractions and they just keep coming and they keep coming. Help us not to give up. Help us to spend some time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.